0: People who are good sources of information are humble and they're intellectually honest. What does that mean? They're not married to a particular ideology and they are willing to admit when they've been wrong before, okay? Your willingness to admit that you've been wrong about a certain type of information that you've been sharing is a really good indicator that that person cares more about the truth rather than promoting a certain agenda. Most times, people who are bad sources of information and are promoting a certain agenda will not ever admit to being wrong in any sort of context. So unwillingness to admit that they're wrong is a clear sign that that person is not necessarily a very good source of information. What's up, guys? Guys, welcome back to the Dr. Joey Munoz show. Today's episode is really exciting. I'm going to be talking about red flags that you guys should be looking out for when determining whether or not somebody's a good source of information on social media. Before we get into it, though, I just wanted to thank you all for supporting the podcast. I started the show what like three months ago now, two and a half months depends on when I drop this episode and. As I'm recording this, we've just hit 10,000 downloads on the podcast. It's growing a lot quicker than I ever thought it would. Honestly, it always blows my mind to think that there's people out there around the world that want to listen to the stuff that I have to say that I'm recording literally in my kitchen. (laughs) So all jokes aside, thank you all so much for your support. I'm super happy to hear that you guys have been enjoying the show so far. I've been getting really positive feedback saying that the information that I'm sharing here is very relatable and applicable. And again, I just want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart for supporting what I do, because truthfully without an audience, it wouldn't be possible for me to do what I do. So thank you guys. As always, if you're enjoying this show so far, I would really, really appreciate if you just took a couple of seconds to rate the podcast on whatever podcasting app you're using um, and leaving a review as well. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you could take a second to give the episode a thumbs up if you're enjoying it and subscribe to my channel so you don't miss any of my future episodes. Anyways, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump right into it. So we live in the age of social media, right? Right. We have so much information available to us at like at our fingertips, essentially, right? I think that's kind of how the phrase goes. Whatever we want to learn about, we have access to. You want to learn how to build a desk? You could just Google it. You want to learn about the best workout program? You could literally just Google it. You can go on social media. There's thousands of people putting out information for free. You don't have to go to a university or have a traditional educational background in a particular topic that you want to learn about. It's absolutely amazing, right? I can't tell you how many things I've learned just from like Google and YouTube and now uh, AI using chat GPT to ask questions about different things that I'm interested in. It's really, really freaking cool, right? But at the same time, it could definitely be a double-edged sword, right? What do I mean by that? Well, it's really hard to curate information when there is an overabundance of information online right there's just like so much of it there are thousands if not hundreds of thousands i don't know the exact numbers don't quote me on that but there's a ton of people on social media posting information particularly in the nutrition field right the tips i'm going to be giving you guys here are how to determine whether somebody's a good source of information in nutrition specifically because that's what my expertise is in, right? Nutrition, exercise science, but some of these principles you'll be able to apply to other fields that you guys are interested in learning more about as well. That being said, it's a double-edged sword because although there's a ton of really good information online, there's equally just as much bad information, unfortunately, right? People are trying to make a quick buck. It's pretty easy to make some money online. If you push some sort of shitty information and then sell a product, that is the solution to whatever shitty information you're putting out. And unfortunately for the consumer, you, the person listening, it can be pretty hard to determine if the person is telling the truth, if they're lying, right? Especially in the field of nutrition, how do you know if somebody's telling the truth or not if you don't have a formal educational background in the nutrition space, right? So that being said, what I wanna do in this episode is share with you what I consider five red flags that you should absolutely look out for that are gonna help you determine whether or not somebody's a good source of information, okay? Let's go ahead and start with the first one. The first red flag is somebody's educational background, okay? First and foremost, a formal education in nutrition is certainly not mandatory, but it is very, very helpful, right? I have my PhD specifically in nutrition sciences, right? As I just mentioned before, you can certainly educate yourself without having a formal education, but having a formal education in the space of nutrition or exercise science is just a a good reinforcement that the person has a good base of knowledge when it comes to these topics. Now, that being said, why is a formal educational background in these different areas important? Well, it's because nutrition is a pretty nuanced topic, right? There's a lot that goes into learning about nutrition. You have to know about physiology. You have to know about metabolism. You have to know about food. You have to know about how food interacts with the body. You have to know the nuances of nutritional research. It's not that simple, right? People tend to think it's really simple and it's actually quite complex. And those are some of the things that you really learn when you have a traditional educational background in nutrition science, right? Whether that's a bachelor's degree, whether that's a dietetics degree a phd in nutrition having some formal education in nutrition or exercise science specifically is a really good sign that the person at least knows some actual helpful valuable information right now unfortunately there's some people out there with a good educational background who also spew some bullshit online but again none of these red flags i'm going to share with you are like ultimatums like they have an educational background or they're not they're a good source of information or they're not right If you start to see a combination of these red flags then it can be a really good indicator that perhaps somebody's not a good source of information now that being said it's important that the formal education that the person has is specific to the areas of nutrition and exercise science because just because somebody's a doctor or has a phd does not automatically make them an expert in the field of nutrition that's another little nuance to really think about, right? Because there are a ton of medical doctors, a ton of chiropractors, and sincerely, a ton of PhDs online who have pretty big followings, who unfortunately put out a bunch of really shitty information when it comes to nutrition science. And I say shitty because it's just not accurate, it's not true, and it's potentially harmful, right? Uh, there's a huge medical community behind the low carb movement where like, they really think that eating carbohydrates is bad for your health. And it's not. They're actually quite quite healthful, right? And uh, I've made episodes on that. I'm not going to go into the specifics of carbohydrates. But just because somebody has a medical degree or has a PhD does not automatically make them a source of good nutrition information. Keep in mind, the person's educational background should be specific in the field of nutrition. I would trust somebody with a bachelor's degree in nutrition sciences before I would trust a a medical doctor to talk about nutrition if they aren't specifically trained in the field of nutrition. Another really important consideration to think about is um, to look at people who really value continued education, right? people who are continuously updating their thought process, reviewing literature, talking about new research on social media, people who have practical experience and actually work with clients who are in the trenches, giving recommendations to people, helping people achieve their physique related goals or health related goals, and people who have strong critical thinking skills. Right, first red flag again is educational background. Ideally, somebody who's giving you information about nutrition has a formal background in nutrition. And again, Formal background, formal education does not mean being a doctor, being a PhD, right? Because you can be a doctor, you can have a PhD, and not know, excuse the language, jack shit, about nutrition, okay? So, second red flag we're gonna move on to now is to really pay attention to the types of claims that people make, as well as the products they sell. There are different types of claims that we make, right? When we talk about uh, information regarding nutrition, people can make really strong like black or white claims or they can make a more nuanced claim right Uh, whenever we're answering questions as professionals you can always give a very nuanced and detailed answer or you can answer with just a yes or no right for example saying carbs are bad that is not a nuanced answer that is a very black and white answer saying you need to take x supplement because of blank outcome is a fairly black and white answer. It's not nuanced whatsoever, right? I think the best example that comes to mind here is uh, the topic of sugar, right? Saying sugar is bad is not nuanced at all, right? And it's not accurate either. The, The issue with lack of nuance is lack of accuracy. So again, there's a ton of people online who just make blanket statements like sugar is bad. Do not eat sugar i understand where they're coming from but that's just not a correct answer right a more nuanced answer would be you probably want to minimize added sugars because foods that are high in added sugars are typically very processed foods that are easy to overconsume, that are going to put you in a positive energy balance that are going to contribute to overall weight gain and fat gain that being said natural sources of sugar like fruits are not something you have to worry about. And if we look at the literature, there's actually a very positive relationship between fruit consumption, which is high in sugar, and positive health outcomes. Furthermore, in certain contexts, like sports-specific contexts, added sugars may actually be beneficial for fueling performance. That's a much more nuanced answer to the question of, is sugar bad, right? So in general, you want to avoid people who are making blanket statements not providing any nuance, saying, this is bad, this is good, do this, don't do that. Because everything, when it comes down to nutrition, is fairly nuanced. And there is typically no just black and white answer that fits every single context. So the context really matters. And people who are bad sources of information are really bad at providing context. Um, They're really bad at, at admitting that the advice that they're sharing may not be appropriate in certain contexts right? For example, um, I was going to say carnivores will never admit that in some situations carnivore diet is not appropriate, but I would say there's no situation in which a carnivore diet is appropriate. But let's say uh, the vegan community, right? Some some people who are very like hardcore vegans will never admit that in some situations it can be healthy to consume meat or dairy, right? So they lack context, they lack nuance. If somebody never puts things in context never provides nuance they're likely not a good source of information are you tired of spending countless hours grocery shopping cooking and preparing your meals i get it time is precious and that's where icon meals comes into play i've partnered with icon meals to bring you delicious macro friendly and high protein meals that will make it easier than ever for you to achieve your fitness goals i understand that you may have hesitations over the cost of a meal prep service compared to cooking food at home but let's face it how often do you spend more money eating out because you didn't have time to prepare your food at home anyways with icon meals you not only save time but you invest in your health These meals are carefully crafted to be healthier and more in line with your fitness goals than most of the food that you eat out anyways. So why wait? Visit iconmeals.com and explore their wide array of mouth-watering meals. And as a special bonus for listening to this podcast, use code Joseph10 at checkout for a special discount off of your order. By the way, you can find all of the necessary links in the description of this podcast. Don't let time be a barrier to your success. Choose icon meals and fuel your journey towards a healthier, fitter you. Now, aside from nuance, definitely watch out for like radical outlandish claims, right, Liver King, and I don't like calling people out by their names, but this guy needs to be called out. Liver King, for example, is a perfect example of this making outlandish ridiculous claims saying that you have to eat raw testicles and raw liver in order to be a man and like be super muscular and actually for those of you guys that haven't listened to liver king just look up liver king on instagram it's very entertaining he sucks in terms of like actual information he provides but it is very entertaining and so the whole thing was that this guy for like a year built up a huge following on instagram over a million followers was promoting eating raw testicles and and raw liver and then he said you know if you don't eat those things i actually have a raw organ supplement a capsule that he was selling right and so he made millions of dollars off of this and then it came out and and the whole the whole claim was like he has a really amazing body and it's that the way he eats and the way he lives is like what's promoting him having the body that he has and and then it came out that he was spending over ten thousand dollars per day on performance enhancing drugs not per day, sorry, $10,000 per month on steroids, right? And he actually lied about steroid use for that whole year until he was caught. and then he said, I'm sorry, but like, dude, you've been lying, right? So a lot of these people will make very ridiculous, ridiculous claims, like you have to eat raw liver and raw testicles to be a man, which is a ridiculous statement. Um, So if people are making like outlandish, ridiculous statements, or they have like a secret cure or a secret intervention for like whatever your issue is, that nobody else knows about and the evidence-based community doesn't know about, they're not a good source of information. And the last thing to think about here is like the products they sell. Like I just mentioned, Liver King was promoting eating raw liver and then he had a liver supplement, right? If people are making ridiculous outlandish claims, if they provide black and white statements and have a very strong narrative of what they're pushing, and then they have a product that they sell that helps you solve or heal whatever issue you have one that's not a good product don't buy it two you you just that's you that's a pretty good sign that that person is not a good uh, source of information and it's crazy because so many people fall for these schemes like so many people follow these people and like believe what they say and buy their products to me it's like so obvious that these people are not good sources of information but i guess they're pretty convincing so hopefully this episode helps you not fall for some of the bullshit tactics that these people are using online. Okay, the next red flag, red flag number three, is the kind of research that people cite to help support their claims, okay? Let me explain what I mean by this. First off, it's important to support your claims with scientific evidence, right? Because scientific evidence is what we use to determine what is accurate and what is not, right? Now you don't have to back up everything with scientific evidence for example when i make posts on social media if i talk about strength tra- strength training and saying strength training is one of the best things that you can do to improve your body composition i'm not going to go ahead and cite a study for that but whenever people make claims like for example you should eat raw liver for x outcome you should obviously support that with scientific evidence right uh and if somebody asks you for scientific evidence or if you're being challenged or questioned, there should at the very least, there should be scientific evidence supporting your claims, right? Oftentimes, people who share these really outlandish claims or bad information do not support their claims with any evidence. Why? Because there obviously isn't any evidence to actually support what they're saying. Now, aside from that, some of these people are pretty clever (laughs) and they will cite information, they will cite studies, but they cite studies that do not actually show what they're supporting, right? So it's important to understand that there is that there are different types of research, and it's important that the research that the person is citing actually supports the claims that they're making. For example, one of the one of the claims that gets perpetuated a lot online is is uh, when it comes to fasting, right? So like not eating for a period of time. That fasting helps extend your lifespan, for example. That's one of the ridiculous claims that you'll see online, um, often perpetuated online, right? And people cite research to support this. The issue is that the research that's being cited is not appropriate for the claim being made, right? Any of the research showing that uh, fasting can help extend lifespan is not conducted in humans, it's actually conducted in like tapeworms and flies, right? And so they'll they'll take some flies or they'll take some worms and they'll fast them for eight hours. And then they see that they live a longer period of time. And then people are like, wow, fasting extends lifespan. And it's it's like, it sounds so attractive and so sexy, but it's just like, it's not, we don't have any evidence that it actually does that in humans, right? Here's some of the limitations of that type of research and why you can't extrapolate animal studies directly into human trials without having actual human studies. You can't extrapolate because first off, the life cycle or the lifespan of a fly or a worm might be 24 hours, 48 hours, right? And so if you fast them for eight hours, that's literally like a third of their life or 20% of their life, right? So that fasting protocol is vastly different than fasting for eight hours in a human, right? If you fast an insect that lives 24 hours, if you fast them for eight hours, that would be equivalent to fasting a human for a third of their life. Let's say that person's going to live till they're 90. That's fasting for 30 years. Guess what? If you don't eat for 30 years, you're dead well before that. So the protocols are not necessarily applicable. And so therefore, we can't extrapolate the results of those kinds of studies, right? In general, they're Different types of studies. There are human st- studies, there are animal studies, and there are cell culture studies. Animal studies and cell culture, s- culture studies are not useless. They provide us with really good uh, information to understand perhaps what's going on. But in order to make a claim that something happens in humans, you have to have human outcome data. Okay, and there are three types of of studies that I think. Um, Give us a really good picture uh, as to whether or not something is real or not whether something is a true claim or a false claim in humans right first off is clinical trials clinical trials are when you take up when you take a group of people you give them a certain intervention and you see the outcome right so If I take a group of 50 people and I give them creatine and I see if creatine helps with building muscle, that would be an appropriate study to say that creatine helps build muscle, right? So those are clinical interventional trials. Then we have cross-sectional studies. Cross-sectional studies really uh, look at one one, uh, time point and look at the relationship between different variables. And now the word relationship means the same thing as like a correlation, right? And correlation does not mean causation, but it does help paint a picture. For example... The benefits of cross-sectional studies is that you can typically analyze data from a way bigger population sample, from a way bigger sample size than a clinical trial because it's not as expensive. So you could look at the relationship of like total cholesterol levels and cardiovascular disease amongst 100,000 people, right? So these cross-sectional studies help uh, essentially paint a picture of what may be going on, what kind of relationship is going on between different variables. And Aside from clinical trials, cross-sectional trials, we also have what are called meta-analyses. Hey guys, some of you may not know that I'm the scientific advisor for a supplement company called Outwork Nutrition. I help with the formulation of new products to help ensure that they're effective and backed by science. Unlike many other supplement companies out there, we don't rely on exaggerated claims or flashy marketing tactics. Instead, we let the science speak for itself. We take pride in formulating products that deliver real results, helping you achieve your fitness goals in a meaningful way. If you're in the market for supplements like protein powder, pre-workout, or recovery products, make sure to check us out at outworknutrition.com. And as a thank you for being an avid listener of this podcast, use code Joey for an exclusive discount at checkout. You can find the link to our website down in the description of this podcast episode. Remember, our goal is to empower you with science-backed supplements that truly make a difference choose outwork nutrition and elevate your fitness to new heights and in terms of like strength of evidence meta-analyses are what we consider the strongest form of evidence right we have meta-analyses then the clinical trials and then the cross-sectional data below that if there are meta-analyses showing that a particular outcome Or a particular intervention results in a particular outcome. And that's a pretty good indicator that it's a true claim and it's a good source of information, right? So, a meta analysis, what it is, is a collection of clinical trials um, to see if the outcome is robust, right? So, there are studies on creatine in young adults, there are studies of creatine in older adults, there are studies of creatine. Um, with low volume training, with high volume training, et cetera. And then you would culminate all of this data and do like one large study on all of these studies that have been collected. So guys, whenever you assess whether or not somebody's a good source of information, make sure that they're citing appropriate research to support their claims whenever they make any sort of like a hardcore scientific claim, right? And make sure that the research that they are using is the appropriate type of research to support their claim. Now, I will admit if you don't have a formal background in nutrition research or in research in general, it's hard to determine whether the research is appropriate or not, but in general, just try to make sure that the studies that they're referencing are done in humans and it's actually looking at the stuff that they're saying it's looking at, if that makes sense. Okay, the fourth red flag, and this is huge, is the person's willingness to admit mistakes and their humility, okay? People who are good sources of information are humble and they're intellectually honest. What does that mean? They're not married to a particular ideology and they are willing to admit when they've been wrong before. Okay. Your willingness to admit that you've been wrong about a certain type of information that you've been sharing is a really good indicator that that person cares more about the truth rather than promoting a certain agenda, right? Most times, people who are bad sources of information and are promoting a certain agenda will not ever admit to being wrong in any sort of context, okay? And again, that goes back to what we were saying at the beginning in terms of blanket statements, like without any context, right? These sorts of people are going to give you black and white statements. They're not going to admit when they're wrong. They're not willing to admit that in certain situations, their advice is not um, applicable, etc. right? So unwillingness to admit that they're wrong is a clear sign that that person is not necessarily a very good source of information right every every single expert has made mistakes right and we've all had to correct our thinking at one point or another i've been wrong about things a number of times right i've been wrong about low carb diets i used to think that eating low carb was more beneficial for fat loss and now it's pretty evidently clear that the opposite is true I used to think that you had to chug some protein and some carbohydrates immediately after training because of the post-workout anabolic window. Um, And I thought that if you didn't get that in within 30 minutes, you were wasting your workout. I was wrong about that. I've admitted that. I used to think that muscle confusion was a thing. I was wrong about that, right? I'm okay with admitting these things because it shows that I've learned. I've read and analyzed newer available evidence that, that proves that my old way of thinking was incorrect and I'm willing to admit that and change the way I think because I care more about sharing the truth with you than promoting some sort of narrative and pushing some sort of product, right? I think it's, it's really important to, to um, try and follow people who are willing to engage in respectful discussions and consider alternative viewpoints, right? This goes in line with being humble and being willing to admit when you're wrong People like myself who are experts in their field and care about the truth and spreading the truth are willing to have difficult discussions with other professionals that perhaps don't see eye to eye with them and truly be open-minded to hearing their point of view and understanding that you may be wrong about certain things and and trying to, to through these discussions, come A little bit closer to the truth, right? Whereas people who are, again, not necessarily good sources of information are likely unwilling to do that. They're unlikely to to engage in respectful discussion because they know that what they're saying is bullshit and they don't really have strong claims to back it up. So rather than having a respectful discussion, they usually result to insulting people or just being rude, right? Those are not good sources of a humble person or somebody who is gonna be a good source or an honest source of information. All right, and the last red flag, which is a little bit difficult to assess, but is important as well, is the person's social circle, right? If you notice on social media, your favorite influencers, they have a tight-knit circle of, of a group of people, right? They interact with certain people on a regular basis, they share certain people's uh, content on their stories, um, they collaborate with certain people, it's really important to pay attention to that right because good sources of information are going to collaborate and and socialize with other people who are good sources of information right i would never like repost liver kings posts on my stories and say go eat raw liver because that is completely against my message right so it's important to also look at the people's social circle people who are promoting good information are going to socialize and promote other people who post good information people who post shitty information are only going to to uh to support and collaborate with other people who are promoting the same message that they are and they're promoting shitty information right there's a reason why like the vegan community is so strong knit uh particularly the vegans that that really think that eating any sort of animal product is bad for your health i'm not talking about from an ethical standpoint here that's a completely different conversation Uh, there's a reason why the carnivore community is so tight-knit within the carnivore community right and it's because they have a certain narrative they don't want to see other viewpoints they're not open-minded and so they only socialize with people within that circle so again final red flag is the person's social circle make sure to look for people who are socializing and interacting and supporting and being supported by other people who you also respect. Alrighty, guys, that is going to wrap it up for this episode. I hope you guys have found it helpful. I hope you guys have found it valuable. And I hope you guys feel like uh, you're perhaps a little bit better prepared to be able to discern who's a good source of information or who's a bad source of information online. Because again, there's just like so much information online. And it's so hard to tell who's a good source and who's not a good source. And it's so easy to fall into these Schemes essentially, where you're buying all these ridiculous supplements and products, and you think there's something wrong with you when there's nothing wrong with you because you heard some influencer say that you have some parasites in your intestines and you need their cleanse, right? Like that's literally how it happens. And so, hopefully, if you guys take the tips that I shared with you here today, you can really start to apply them when you see information on social media. As always, guys, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for listening to what I have to say. If you enjoyed the podcast episode, Remember to rate it on whatever podcasting app you're listening to. I truly appreciate it. And I'll catch you guys in next week's episode. Peace.